Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Wellness. That's wellness with an E on the end. It's the company that I co-founded to create truly safe and natural personal care products that are safe for the whole family. Our products use only EWG verified safe ingredients, and they go beyond just avoiding harmful ingredients by including herbs and botanicals that benefit your oral health, your skin, and your hair from the outside in. We believe that it isn't enough just to avoid the harmful stuff, that natural products should work as well as their conventional counterparts, and that since the skin is the largest organ on the body, adding beneficial ingredients is an extra way to benefit the body naturally from the outside in. I've been fascinated by oral health since reading Weston A. Price's book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, years ago, and we now have a whole line of oral care products focused on supporting and nourishing the oral microbiome while naturally whitening and strengthening teeth through ingredients like hydroxyapatite, which is a naturally occurring mineral that helps support strong enamel. We have three options of toothpaste, whitening mint, charcoal, and strawberry for kids, plus natural floss, biodegradable individual use flossers, and now new probiotic mints, which are designed to support the oral microbiome and freshen breath naturally. Our products help you have healthier, whiter teeth naturally and without the junk. Check out these and all wellness products at wellness.com. That's W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E.com. This episode is brought to you by Haya Children's Vitamins. That's H-I-Y-A. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. And most brands on store shelves are filled with sugar, unhealthy additives, and other gummy junk that kids really should never eat. This is why I like Haya. Haya makes children's vitamins with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, yet they taste great and they are perfect for picky eaters. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full body nourishment that our kids need with a yummy taste that they love. I love that they are manufactured in the U.S. with globally sourced ingredients, each selected for optimal bioavailability and absorption. Haya arrives straight to your door on a pediatrician recommended schedule and your first month comes with a reusable glass bottle that your kids can personalize with stickers. Then every month thereafter, Haya sends a no plastic refill pouch of fresh vitamins, which means Haya isn't just good for your kids. It's also good for the environment. You no longer have to worry about running out of your vitamins and they will automatically arrive when you need them. Check them out at Haya Health dot com slash wellness mama and you can save 50 percent on your first month subscription at that link again that's h-i-y-a health.com slash wellness mama hello and welcome to the wellness mama podcast i'm katie from wellnessmama.com and this episode is all about what if it's not depression your guide to finding answers and solutions with dr achina stein this was such a fun episode so not only is this woman incredible in her work that she does. But I found out at the beginning of this episode that she also plays and is going to nationals in the Grandmasters League of Ultimate Frisbee, and that she can hold a plank for an hour, which are incredible in their own right. But Dr. Achina is also an Amazon international bestselling author of What If It's Not Depression, Your Guide to Finding Answers and Solutions. She's a board-certified psychiatrist and has been in practice for 25 plus years. And propelled by her son's mental health crisis in 2010, she found functional medicine, which resolved his issues as well as her own. And so she now does functional medicine psychiatry. She is a certified practitioner of the Institute for Functional Medicine, a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, an Azarius Energy Healer, and she was awarded many awards within the work that she does. And as a companion to her book, she offers programs 
to find and reverse all the root causes of depressive, depressive-like symptoms, which can be a great alternative to medication for people with chronic to mild to moderate depression symptoms that don't respond well to medication. She also offers a course on how to manage uh, antidepressant withdrawal symptoms or taper off SSRIs. And we get to go deep in this episode about how she got into this particular field within her work about her son's journey and how she used this method with her own family. And we talk about things like the most common root causes of depression and anxiety, the five factors she looks at to determine the root cause, which she calls her shift protocol of stress, hormones, infections, food, and toxins, the most common food triggers that are linked to depression and anxiety. We talk about inflammation as a common root cause and how to address this in both the body and the brain. We talk about what the BERT test is, how to identify if there are gut infections, dealing with stress and sleep factors within all of this, and so much more. She's very much a wealth of knowledge, and let's join Dr. Agina. Dr. Agina, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, I am really excited to chat with you, especially to go deep on the topic of depression and all of the subtopics within that. But before we jump into that, one thing I love to ask in the prep of interviews is for random or unknown facts about people, often because they're just great icebreakers before we even hit record. But in your case, there's two that I want to talk about right now because they're so fascinating to me. The first one being that you play in the Grandmasters League of Ultimate Frisbee. And I think you might be the first guest who I've ever that I know of does that. So tell, tell me about that and how you got into that. Oh, wow. So I started playing Ultimate. Uh, I think I was 40 or 41 years old. So I used to be a runner and ran track, cross country, ran through college and and after having my first son, my hip, my, my hips just uh, subluxed. So I could not run anymore, uh, at least not the distances. And so I, I, my husband was playing ultimate in uh, grad school. And so I picked it up uh, with him and I just went from there. And it's like, it's, I love the sport. He and I have coached ultimate Frisbee. All three of my kids play ultimate Frisbee. And I play in like three different leagues. <laughs> so uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm going to be going to nationals in July in the inaugural Great Grandmasters Ultimate Frisbee uh, Tournament uh, for women 47 and older. So I'm going to be turning 60 this year. That's incredible. And congratulations. I I've had a similar experience, but actually with what you used to do, I'm just now getting into track and field as an adult with my kids being in high school sports now and coaching and then now trying my first pentathlon. So I'm, it's a whole new world for me too. I am by no means national level. That's super impressive. <laughs> and somewhat dovetailing with that, the other fact I have about you is that you can hold a plank for an hour, which is total beast mode territory. And I would have guessed you were not even 40. So how did you even find out you could do a plank for an hour? Because that's not a thing I've ever considered trying. You know, I don't know. I actually um, did this with my son to see who could hold the plank longer. And I actually beat him. I have no idea. I have no idea. I've just had a really strong core and I and from a very young age. And and it's like I uh, people are always surprised about my flexibility and my strength and my core strength. So and it's not, I'm not, I, to be, I'm not doing anything special. I spent a lot of my time standing and, you know, while I'm seeing patients, I'm doing leg lifts and, and all sorts of work, uh, you know, lower work. I, I'm doing it now too. And it's just like, maybe it's like an antsy kind of thing, but I'm constantly moving. 
And it might be that I, I'm not really sure, but I, I really don't do anything special <laughs> to to be able to do that. And I, it was surprising to me <laughs> myself. So, yeah. Well, that is all, that is like elite level of planking. So I'm super impressed. And I think that also so besides being an elite athlete, which you totally are, that's impressive. The question I don't normally ask, but I think is important for context for this episode is the mundane question of what do you do? I would guess some people listening are already familiar with you and your work for people who aren't. Can you give us a background? Because I feel like you have a very unique area that you have extreme expertise in. Yes. Well, I'm a functional psychiatrist. That's what I call myself now. But I was a traditional psychiatrist for a number of years. And I now practice functional psychiatry. And what that means is looking for the root causes of depression and anxiety and other mental health symptoms. And this occurred about, this started about 10, 11, I'm going to say 11 years ago. My son uh, had a, a significant mental health crisis to the point of uh, being very, becoming acutely depressed and suicidal, ready to jump off a fifth floor building and of the building. And, um, and that was shocking to me <laughs> when we we were there because the day before he was fine even hours before he was fine and fine you know until we learned later but you know i went the traditional route and getting him help and you know a couple months later we're and this is in 2010 uh he's on four medications and not my son anymore and so this was a crisis in faith in the system for sure for me because I wasn't getting any answers and didn't know who to turn to. So I hit the books and uh, learned um, what I could do. And I also found a functional medicine doctor who took care of him. And we found a number of issues that were underlying that was causing not only his mental health issues, but uh, also uh, explained his chronic severe eczema and chronic severe constipation. And so when we started his treatment with initially dietary changes, the eczema and the constipation went away within a couple months. And my son, who had been living with this for a long time, recognized like, wow, there's something to this. And this was just through dietary change initially. So he uh, became, uh, he was found to be malnourished. He was found to have celiac disease. He, you know, there's all sorts of issues, gut, gut symptoms, uh, you know, pathogens that needed to be taken care of. But long story short, eventually he came off of all four medications within a couple of years. And, you know, he's had his ups and downs since then, because when, once you learn how to manage these symptoms through lifestyle and dietary changes, you kind of have to maintain them. <laughs> and of course he hit college and that didn't happen. So, um, and, but he knew what he needed to do. That's the beauty of functional medicine. You learn the tools that get you well, that you, you jump right back on the wagon again. And, and within six months, he was a lot better and back on, back on, you know, the road again. So, so I, of course, seeing this happen with my son, uh, I, I knew I couldn't practice the same way. It was just not possible. And so I uh, joined the practice that this doctor, uh, Dr. Edward Levitan, who now has a practice called Five Journeys, 
at the time it was Visions Healthcare, I, I asked to join their practice and they happened to be looking for an integrative psychiatrist. <laughs> and so it was perfect. The universe brought us together. And I learned, I, I've been doing functional medicine since then. I still do psychotherapy with some, with a handful of patients and, uh, but it's mostly soup to nuts, functional medicine. Yeah. Or functional psychiatry. That's quite the incredible story. I'm glad to hear he's doing so much better now. And I would guess that many parents listening might have, they might be resonating with your journey in that, you know, the jokes abound and the memes abound about a concerned mom can do better research than the FBI. But I think it is true and certainly true with my experience. And I know many families who have gotten more interested in health in various ways because of either a parent's own health struggle or more often a child's struggle, which leads to a journey of understanding and trying to get to that root cause, which I now am so excited to hear talked about so much more. And I love that this is entering the conversation. And I think I've said many times on here, you know, at the end of the day, we are each our own primary healthcare provider and or for our children. And that the best outcomes happen when we have people who are willing to do the research and who have a vested interest in the outcomes, working with practitioners who have this specific knowledge and can help that journey in a, you know, less all over the place fashion. And so I'd love to start going deep on that topic. You mentioned the root causes. What are some of now in your over 10 years of experience in this specific area, some of the root causes that you see often when it comes to things like depression and anxiety? Sure. Um, yeah, there's, I, I call it the shift protocol, my shift protocol. And it's, it's an easy way to remember at least the five major ones, uh, root causes. One is stress. So S is for stress, H is for hormones, I is for infections, food, uh, F is for food, and T is for toxins. And so it's stress, hormones, infections, foods, and toxins. But I don't necessarily address these issues in that order. We always start with food. Food is medicine. And food is poison. You know, I'm sure people have heard that. And it's really is the truth. It's amazing how much people don't even realize how much food can affect them. I, I had a patient this morning who um, knew that he was caffeine sensitive and had taken all the coffee out of his diet. And uh, we, you know, went through everything uh, that could possibly stimulate him that could cause him to have insomnia. And we literally you know, look at all the ingredients of the supplements that he was taking. And we found that his garden of life protein powder had caffeine in it, 14 uh, milligrams. of No, I think it was 28 milligrams of caffeine because he had two scoops of it and, and it had cocoa nibs in it as well. So, which can be stimulating for some people. And so, you know, it's like, you need to take those out, <laughs> change over to vanilla you know, flavor, but it's amazing how much food can really affect you. And so it's important to look at that. And it's not all about uh, taking a lot of times when we, when people talk to functional medicine doctors, they're going to take this away from me. <laughs> and it's not about taking away it. You know, you can start with adding. There's a lot of things that people don't eat enough of. So starting with adding, but part of the reason why we want to take some foods away is just to do an experiment. It's really literally three weeks where you can see how your immune system responds to that, you know, and, and so then you get information and you get, and when you add that food back in, you can actually see how your body responds to it. The thing is, you know, the brain is a little bit different in that uh, it can take a little bit longer. Sometimes it's right away 
but sometimes it's even longer. So, uh, so it's a matter of doing what I call mini experiments. And some people call it, oh, I cheated, you know, oh, I cheated or, you know, um, on, on the diet. And, you know, rather than calling it cheating and then feeling guilty about it, <laughs> you know, say, I'm going to do a conscious experiment, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to make a choice about what, you know, about eating that uh, dessert and, and knowing what the ingredients are, because I'm being conscious about it. And I'm going to see how I react and like still do a little mini experiment and then enjoy the food and, and not feel guilty about it. Right. So when you make conscious choices and experiment, then you get information. So it's all about, you know, initially getting information about how your body responds to food or reacts to food or, you know, loves the food. Like, oh, my body really loves that food. I'm going to have more of that. So paying attention and having more awareness on your body is really important. So, you know, food is the initial thing that we start with. But again, it's, it also depends on the person. So if, if a person has a lot of issues with food, if they have an eating disorder, you know, I wouldn't necessarily start with food. <laughs> We'd start with other areas. So the next area we look at, because usually in the first couple of months, while we're working on food, we'll get testing. And then we focus on pathogens, chronic infection. So a lot of people don't realize that, you know, an acute infection is what might cause like an elevated white blood count or fever, things like that. But chronic infections, it's almost like the, the body comes to a stalemate, you know, it's like, okay, I see you over there, but you're not going to get any bigger and cause any more harm. But those pathogens absolutely can cause a lot of issues in the gut, which ultimately disrupts the process of making neurotransmitters um, in the gut, which your brain needs. And so it's really important to look to see what pathogens are there. And the top ones are, are you know, uh, the types that cause a gut dysbiosis. There's H. pylori. There is um, candida, which is a yeast that or a fungal uh, fungus that can um, cause problems. So it's a combination, usually looking for a combination of things that can disrupt the gut my, gut microbiome, which is your second brain, essentially, <laughs> you know, and so foods, infections, toxins, everybody probably knows a lot about toxins on your audience, right? Uh, the, but, you know, there's more and more research now that talks about alcohol as being a, a almost, you really kind of have to pull it out altogether. It's like turpentine to your gut lining. And so it's really important, especially women, it's, it's more, more important for women to cut back on the alcohol than men, but there's toxins in our environment. Uh, there's uh, toxins in our foods. And so it's being, being aware of what foods to buy, how to avoid toxins in your environment or bringing them into your environment, like cleansers and air fresheners, anything that's synthetic. And stress. So a big one is stress um, that can cause you to be operating in fight flight in uh, basically uh, constant fight flight. And that can cause also a whole host of issues, but it may even start from a very, very young age. And people don't realize how much if they've had trauma in their childhood, whether it's trauma with a big T or a little T, that can absolutely affect 
how your body uh, reacts in the long run, because that childhood stress causes adrenaline surges, chronic release of cortisol, which then affects and can cause directly multiple chronic diseases. There's lots of research that supports that as well. So those, all of those things are what we look at and, and it's really fine tuning our plan to where the patient's at, at the moment and where they're willing to begin. Yeah. And it seems like it speaks to what I feel like is an emerging trend as well, where everybody is so individualized that I feel like that was my lesson over the last 15 years in health and wellness is that there's so much to learn from every approach. But at the end of the day, we each have that responsibility of figuring out our own variables and the pieces that are going to actually make the big difference for us. And so I love that there's so many people now to learn from and that approaching all of those different things with curiosity helps us to have a foundation to figure out and work within our own bodies and our own mental health constructs in a way that's positive moving forward. And to highlight a couple of things you said, I loved that approach of the mindset piece of that yes, often there's a little bit of restriction in that it's helpful to avoid things for at least a short time to see how we're interacting with them. But it seems like your approach lines up with what I discovered the hard way as well, which is that if we approach it with a positive mindset in a, how do I optimally nourish myself? How do I make sure I'm getting enough of the things my body needs and focus on that rather than the, what I can't have? It's the, our psychology tends to respond better to that, or at least for me, I found that the case. And I also love the idea of experiments. It seems like the human brain likes the idea of experiments versus like a long-term restrictive model. So I think those both, I just wanted to highlight both of those. And I'm curious if there are common foods that seem to be often triggers that come up here or that are at least helpful to avoid in the short term if someone is experiencing depression or anxiety. Yes, absolutely. So the, the biggest ones are gluten, dairy, sugar, processed foods, artificial flavors, those are the top five <laughs> right there. And generally when someone starts working with me, that's usually what I try to do. But we, the way we do that is by adding foods first. And, um, but there are some people who are right on board and like, just show me the way <laughs> I'm going to do exactly what you say. And, you, you know, it, it, it really makes a difference if you're able to make that shift right away because that tells me just how much it is food, you know, the body responds pretty quickly. And um, so it's important to look at the whole picture and, and obviously fine tune it to what, where that person's at first, because we don't want to also scare people or make it a dreadful kind of experience. You know, we start with where a person can have some control over the situation and, and go at the pace that they need to go. So uh, everybody's different, right? But those are the top five. Yeah. Gluten, dairy, sugar, artificial flavors, and processed foods. Yeah. To try to remove those out as quickly as possible. And a, a good diet for some people to start with that kind of does that is uh, the Whole30. You know, the whole 30 is uh, it's it's very cookbook kind of there's cookbooks for it. right? <laughs> so that's a good place to start if someone wanted to start. But a Mediterranean diet, there's lots of research that shows a Mediterranean diet as uh, being, um, you know, very good for your health and and mind. And, you know, I think the things to add into your diet would be omega three fish oil, you know, foods that are high in omega-3s, foods that are high in uh, B vitamins, uh, the co complex of Bs, 
and fermented foods as well. So to feed that microbiome, um, those also make a difference in terms of depression, anxiety. The thing that I didn't mention when I mentioned that, that shift protocol is that, you know, these, these areas that are addressed uh, from the functional medicine approach, they not only improve your mind, your brain, and, you know, your cognition and your mood, uh, and mental health symptoms, they fix lots of other things in your body. And the reason is, is because of inflammation. These, the, it's inflammation that's driving all of these symptoms. And, and what it does, is it kind of clears the fog away in terms of how much might be due to acute stressors like psychosocial stressors, which can impact inflammation. But then you'll know how much you need uh, in terms of uh, psychotherapy to address specific things like in your thoughts or relationship issues, uh, making decisions about your life, like, you know, leaving that toxic job, <laughs> you know, you know, then it kind of actually clears the air and gives you more courage and uh, the ability to think through that those processes. So it doesn't fix everything, but it kind of just kind of clears the air, so to speak, and, and uh, strengthens your resolve to move forward, even in certain decisions. I've had people, you know, actually move forward in their therapy after doing what I call this gut restoration, removing what's causing inflammation, replacing what's missing, re-inoculating the gut microbiome and repairing the gut lining. When we do those things, you know, there, I've had patients where they've been in therapy for years, stuck on the same loop. It's always this thing. It's always this thing. And then like, they move forward in their therapy because something gets unstuck <laughs> on some level. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again, that that's what they really needed to make progress in certain areas of their life. That makes sense. And the part to me that's very encouraging in that is that it, the body and the brain are so connected that it seems like if they get in a negative feedback loop where you have inflammation and you have stress and then they both start compounding each other, that can definitely, of course, lead to a not great experience. But understanding that means it can also go in a positive feedback loop where when we're supporting the body, it makes the mental health piece easier. And then we can deal with stress more easily, which also helps reduce the physical stress our body feels. And we can use that positive feedback loop to get better. Um, and just to echo what you said about the the positive side of adding nutrients in as well. I experienced this very much firsthand where I had been eating in a very restrictive way for a lot of years to try to deal with some of my physical symptoms. And I realized that from chronically under eating for so long, I had missed out probably on key nutrients. And I realized from my genes that I had a lot of choline dependent genes and had been avoiding eggs for years. And when I made an effort to get things like choline and just more protein, which includes all those essential amino acids and B vitamins, like you talked about, I noticed how drastically I felt so much more energy. I had much clearer thinking. And it was probably I was missing those nutrients without realizing it. And so adding more food and adding more nutrients made a really positive difference for me personally. You also mentioned gut infections. And I think this is becoming, it seems like a bigger and bigger issue just because of all the factors you mentioned and what we're exposed to. But I'm curious how you approach gut infections with people and what are some of the steps that people can use to address gut infections if they identify that they have one? Yes. Uh, well, anybody who has um, diarrhea, constipation, bloating, gas, uh, especially foul-smelling gas, most likely have uh, some sort of gut infection. And you know, one the reason people always wonder, like, well, how does that even happen, right? Because I think people don't realize just how much 
our food is contaminated. I mean, occasionally you'll you'll see these recalls of lettuce, right, or or some kind of produce on the news, but that's because it's extremely contaminated. But pretty much our food is contaminated from the get go, and you know we we have this process of decontamination, washing the washing it, cooking it, you know kills all the pathogens, there's a, a way to decontaminate these things. But we also have this decontamination system in our body. And that is starting with our mouth. We have saliva that starts decontaminating and breaking down proteins and things. We have our stomach, this acid pit that it just dumps into that decontaminates it. And, and then we have bile that squirt from our gallbladder into our, our small intestine. And that is a third layer of decontamination, but believe it or not, there are pathogens that get past that. And, uh, and then our immune system that is along our gut lining is overwhelmed by it. And if you have increased gut permeability, which is where the cells are, are the gates are open and um, between the cells, that can be caused by lipopolysaccharides from certain types of gut pathogens, but also gluten, <laughs> gluten, which is in wheat, barley, and rye. And so um, that, that makes it another layer of uh, immune um, inflammation or activation. So we want to make sure that we are salivating, right? And how many people are taking medications that cause dry mouth? Right. And why do they have cavities is because they have dry mouth. There are people who have an, uh, a gut infection that can cause a shutdown of acid and that's H. pylori. And so we want to test for that and make sure that you're making enough acid. But another reason why some people don't make enough acid is because they're under stress. And if you're on fight flight, then you're not going to be in rest and digest mode. And so we want to make enough acid and in and be in a rest and digest mode in order to digest your food right so but if you have h pylori which is the gut infection that we look for in, in our testing we want to treat that so you make a normal amount of of acid there there is um some uh types of h pylori species of h pylori that have virulence factors that can cause a high amount of acid production and that's where the traditional doctors conventional doctors look for they don't really associate h pylori with low you know with uh, low acid it's also it's always associated with high acid causing gut ulcers and gastric cancer you know gastric ulcers and they want to give you proton pump inhibitors or there's medications that shut down your gas, you know, your gastric acid production. And so on, um, sometimes people have gallbladder problems. They have congested gallbladders that don't efficiently eject enough bile salts. So it's looking at all of those factors to make sure that your own internal system of you know, decontaminating your food works. It's really important. And also it's, a, those are the same things that actually digest your food. You know, your pancreas also, you know, releases digestive enzymes. And so all of those things, not only decontaminate your food, they also digest your food and uh, breaking down to, into the particles small enough to cross over that gut barrier to assimilate into your body. That makes sense. Are there 
um, like positive steps we can take to support those various things, even in a foundational way, or even with our kids in hoping that they don't develop some of these problems as they get older, or like many of us potentially have. Like I think back to when I was in my active healing phase, I just intuitively preferred cooked foods. And now I'm wondering, is that, was that a intuitive response from my body that that was easier to digest because it was already cooked. Um, but I'm thinking through things like that. Are there things we can do and steps we can take to hopefully support all these various things that are happening within the body? Absolutely. Yeah. There's definitely things you can do, um, in terms of digestion, uh, of releasing enough acid, you could do a test called the burp test to see if you are doing it. Um, those instructions are, uh, laid out in my book, but, um, and there are, there's plenty of YouTube videos about how to, uh, do the burp test, but basically you're taking, um, teaspoon of baking soda and not everyone should do this. So, you know, get, make sure you're doing this with a provider, but just to explain what that is, it's taking a teaspoon of baking soda and mixing it in water, drinking it on an empty stomach in the morning and timing how long it takes for you to have a hearty burp. And it's basically doing a volcano experiment in your stomach. It's sodium bicarbonate, which is the baking soda and hydrochloric acid. When they come together, create this gas. And so when you burp, okay, you're, especially if it's within two minutes and it's a hearty burp, not a little burp. <laughs> and it, you know, then, you know, you're making enough acid. If it's less than two minutes, it's enough acid. If it's two to five minutes, it's you're making some acid, possibly not enough. And if it's over five minutes or no burp, then you're not making enough. One strategy that you can try is before having a meal, you'll want to do some deep breathing and relaxation. And you'll want to chew your food, smell your food, connect to your food, right? I want everyone to think about like how often do you just vacuum that food down? You don't even know what it tasted like. It just, you know, you only went for the sensation in your in your gut, that satiated feeling. But did you even feel the texture or taste what you were actually eating? Did you chew your food, right? I'm always telling my kids this, well, <laughs> chew your food. <laughs> I'm usually the last person at the table eating, but anyway, yeah, you want to relax and you want to connect to your food, smell your food, chew your food and connect with the people around you. And the other thing is it's important to set up rhythms in your body. So if you, if, if, if if a person eats breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's three meals or five meals, it doesn't matter, but it's important to signal to your body that you're going to eat. And so just like you have a rhythm with with your child, you know, eating, right? They cry at the at a certain moment and that releases their own juices and and it also signals to you it's time to eat, right? But our bodies as adults do the same thing. Shop opens, I would say shop opens to receive then shop closes and in the morning and then at noon, shop opens to receive and then it closes. And then at dinner time, shop opens to receive and then it closes. So if you have missed that opportunity, then you, you kind of have to force your body consciously almost to, to you know, release those juices efficiently. And so that's why sometimes people, if they've missed lunch and they had all these growling, it was waiting, shop was open, it was growling, your stomach's growling, you're really, really hungry. And then you pass that moment, an hour later, you try to eat and it feels like a, a, you know, a brick in your gut, right? Because shop's closed. Yeah. So it's listening to your body and understanding that your body wants rhythms, whether it's three meals or five meals, it doesn't matter 
but it's being consistent and uh, listening to your body as to when it wants the food. Same thing with bowel movements. Generally, you know, people should have bowel movements. That's a toxicity issue, right? You want to, you want to put the garbage out. <laughs> you know, if we started accumulating all this garbage in our house and the, and the sanitation department didn't pick it up once a week, our garbage bags would start smelling and drawing flies and things like that. Right. How many times have you been in New York? I don't know if you've been in New York city, but they have piles of garbage, all over. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh my gosh. But you know, if you don't really, if you don't take the trash out, on a regular basis through bowel movements, at least one bowel movement a day, all of those toxins uh, do permeate into your other organs. They're not in little plastic bags. <laughs> They're permeable bags, you know, permeable bags. And so you really want to remove those toxins and and that will make room for the next meal. And, and that it, it, it facilitates the digestive process even more. So to answer your question, you know, it's breathing before a meal, doing a little testing perhaps to see if you are actually burping and um, cooking, cooking your food is certainly, or pureeing. Sometimes people uh, need to puree their foods if they find it particularly hard to digest certain foods. And so making sauces as opposed to eating whole vegetables um, I like, especially I, my trick for people who have trouble with vegetables at all is to take a lot of, a lot of different vegetables, a small amount of each one and putting it into a blender and pureeing it, making in the sauce and adding it to tomato sauce. And you'll get, you're feeding your microbiome, uh, little bits of a variety of vegetables. And that way it's going to change your palate, your palate is the way it is because of the microbiome that you're feeding. Your microbiome tells your brain what it wants. But if you start at eating small amounts of the foods that are healthier for you, you'll slowly change that microbiome and then you'll want, <laughs> your brain will want those healthier foods. Now, that's my, my hack for food. <laughs> And seems like a great tip with kids as well, especially a lot of younger kids don't tend to naturally just gravitate towards certain vegetables. Um, but it seems like you said, if you can train the gut bacteria to want those things over time, then it's not a battle with the kids to try to encourage that so much as their body learns to want it on their own. And I also feel like those tips are just valuable and line up with the Mediterranean diet as well of like breathe and just get your nervous system in a good state before you eat. So your body even knows food is on the way and then chewing well, like you mentioned, and you explained so well. And then things like, um, I know in a lot of blue zones, for instance, or in Mediterranean countries, they often walk home after dinner or go for a walk. And now there's so much data with all these glucose monitors people are wearing on how even just a 10 minute walk after a meal can improve blood sugar and digestion and so many other things related to our food. And I hadn't heard it explained so well either about the rhythms of food and digestion, but it makes sense. And, and I would guess many people listening have had that experience where they were so hungry and then later on food just didn't feel right in their body. And it makes sense when we think of that. Um, and I know that food is also a big signaling mechanism for circadian biology. We have light temperature and food as big signaling mechanisms. And so 
being aware of that, it seems like we can use that to our advantage to also impact sleep, which is another big factor when it comes to mental health and gut health and all of these things as well. Um, do you have any other tips related to the sleep component? And then I also want to make sure we talk about stress, but I know sleep is a big issue, especially um, people with mental health issues can struggle with sleep and vice versa. Like lack of sleep can lead to us feeling more anxious or depressed. Um, so any tips for that that you often deal with with your patients? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, there's there's lots of information on the internet about, you know, sleep hygiene, right? Uh, having a routine is is important. Having a bedtime routine, even for adults, we have bedtime routines for our children, right? We do our, you know, as parents, we do that for our kids, but then we don't have our own bedtime routine, right? So it's really, really important to do that. A great way to um, wind down to sleep is to definitely not do this in front of a TV. So many people, you know, watch a TV show and then they expect themselves to go right to bed. What you'll want to do is watch that TV show or news or whatever it is that you're doing on TV or on your phone to do it downstairs of your for out of your bedroom and go to bed uh, and get ready for bed. And that might include a nice Epsom salt bath once in a while. I know some people who do that on a regular basis, actually. But there are there are things that there's so many things that you can do to sort of wind down. And it might be reading a real book, a, a paper book, that's not too, you know, stimulatory, if you're one of those people who has a monkey mind thinking about the next day, you might want to write those down. So it's not constantly going through your mind uh, and having it, you know, at your bedside and sort of closing that book <laughs> and knowing that you can open it the next day and start from there. It's looking at what are the things that are activating you. And so, so I think about thoughts, emotions, are you replaying a conversation in your mind or at a meeting that you had earlier in the day and you're trying to resolve some kind of conflict. And it's a matter of just acknowledging those emotions. And it's like, okay, this is how I feel about it. I, you know, you could journal about it, write it down, or just just say, okay, I'm gonna let this go. This is what happened. I'm gonna let this go. And I'm going to put myself to bed so that I have energy in the morning to deal with it. Right. And it's just I'll I'll get rested, sleep on it, and get and and feel rested enough to deal with this in the morning so that you're not replaying these things in your mind. But you know, sometimes people think that they have to they have to sleep through. It's normal to wake up, turn over. It's normal to wake up, maybe use the bathroom and come back. Um, if you're frequently using the bathroom, then it's important to understand why that is. So are you drinking too much water? Do you have a chronic infection? There is, there's reasons why that might be happening, but it's a matter of looking at, you want to have a, at least, uh, you know, at the fewest number of wake up times as possible, but it's okay to wake up look at the clock, turn over and go right back to sleep. And I, I think sometimes I've had some patients tell me that that was a sleep problem. It's like, no, that's kind of normal. That's, you know, it's normal to do that. And the key is to make sure that you're feeling rested. That's how you know that you're getting good sleep. Are you waking up rested? And um, so sometimes people think that they have to have eight hours of sleep and they're striving to get eight hours, eight hours, eight hours, but it's like, well, how many hours are you getting six hours? Like, 
but do you feel rested? You know, as long as you're feeling rested and you can get through the day and you're doing well and you're not feeling tired, like so much so that you're, you need a nap or, you know, then I think six hours is probably your, that's normal for you, you know? So it's figuring, figuring out what is right for you and trying to think of some other tips. I like, I don't know if you want me to talk about supplements, but I find that most people are um, very magnesium deficient. Magnesium is the easiest way um, to get someone sleeping. Uh, And it resolves so many issues, not just sleep. It helps people with sleep, helps people with anxiety, with depression, with constipation, uh, stress. (laughs) Uh, There's lots of things that magnesium helps with. I like to use a magnesium that has multiple types of magnesium, like magnesium glycinate, magnesium taurate. Um, There's magnesium citrate. That's the more for the constipation, but a combination is really, really good. And it's, it's even uh, something that you can give for your child by rubbing, getting like a magnesium oil and rubbing that into their feet and that'll help them to sleep. So if you have a child that's, uh, has trouble sleeping, that's a great way to get them to sleep without having to take pills. And it's very well tolerated by most people. And if you get diarrhea, then you know to back off. The only people who shouldn't take magnesium is uh, people with kidney problems. So they ought to avoid that. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible to use it, but it's you should definitely be working with a practitioner with, with in that regard. Uh, magnesium is wonderful for, for these kinds of issues. So many good tips wrapped up in that response. This podcast is brought to you by Wellness. That's wellness with an E on the end. It's the company that I co-founded to create truly safe and natural personal care products that are safe for the whole family. Our products use only EWG verified safe ingredients, and they go beyond just avoiding harmful ingredients by including herbs and botanicals that benefit your oral health, your skin, and your hair from the outside in. We believe that it isn't enough just to avoid the harmful stuff, that natural products should work as well as their conventional counterparts, and that since the skin is the largest organ on the body, adding beneficial ingredients is an extra way to benefit the body naturally from the outside in. I've been fascinated by oral health since reading Weston A. Price's book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, years ago, and we now have a whole line of oral care products focused on supporting and nourishing the oral microbiome while naturally whitening and strengthening teeth through ingredients like hydroxyapatite, which is a naturally occurring mineral that helps support strong enamel. We have three options of toothpaste, whitening mint, charcoal, and strawberry for kids, plus natural floss, biodegradable individual use flossers, and now new probiotic mints, which are designed to support the oral microbiome and freshen breath naturally. Our products help you have healthier, whiter teeth naturally and without the junk. Check out these and all wellness products at wellness.com. That's W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E.com. This episode is brought to you by Haya Children's Vitamins. That's H-I-Y-A. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. And most brands on store shelves are filled with sugar, unhealthy additives, and other gummy junk that kids really should never eat. This is why I like Haya. Haya makes children's vitamins with zero sugar, and zero gummy junk, yet they taste great and they are perfect for picky eaters. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full body nourishment that our kids need with a yummy taste that they love. 
I love that they are manufactured in the U.S. with globally sourced ingredients, each selected for optimal bioavailability and absorption. Haya arrives straight to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule, and your first month comes with a reusable glass bottle that your kids can personalize with stickers. Then every month thereafter, Haya sends a no-plastic refill pouch of fresh vitamins, which means Haya isn't just good for your kids, it's also good for the environment. You no longer have to worry about running out of your vitamins, and they will automatically arrive when you need them. Check them out at hayahealth.com slash wellnessmama, and you can save 50% on your first month subscription at that link. Again, that's H-I-Y-A health.com slash wellnessmama. Another factor I want to make sure we get to delve into deeply is the stress piece, because you mentioned this already as part of your shift protocol, and it seems like this might be the most elusive or potentially the toughest to dial in because there's so much individuality here and stress can come from a variety of factors. Like you mentioned, all the physical stress factors that our body interprets as stress, even if we don't mentally feel stressed. And then of course we have the mental and emotional stress that many people feel for any number of reasons. And it seems like this one is often very multifaceted and could be the toughest to deal with. But also I learned very much firsthand how intricately connected that is to our physical health and to our biology. When I did all of the by the book physical things for years and didn't really notice big results. And then when I dealt with my emotional trauma from high school, all of the physical stuff started resolving without me making any other big changes. And it just really showed me how important this is and how our body and our minds are so intricately connected. So how do you work people through the stress piece when they come to you? Oh, wow. That's a big question. (laughs) I mean, you encapsulated it beautifully. Uh, You know, I had so many things to say about sleep that I didn't even know where to start. And now like, this is even a bigger topic. But you know, it, it really starts with educating people about how stress impacts a person just the way you described is beautiful and uh and understanding that trauma can cause childhood trauma absolutely can cause a lot of physical health problems but some people don't even realize how stressful like there are there are people who love their jobs they have great families they're multitaskers taskers and you know doing everything, right? Boom, 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 boom. And they're right on point in flow and don't realize that their mind might be there. Energetically, they're there and their mind is there, but their body is taking the toll. And so it's almost like, come on, buddy, let's go. Right. It's, it's, it's some people think that, you know, and so the the way it's showing up in the body is the chronic disease, so to speak, where people assume that if the body was having a problem with it, that it would just get tired. That's not necessarily the case. It just shows up differently for different people. And so, yeah, it's, it's important to stop and slow down and think about what changed (laughs) when this started, what happened that I started, right. What happened right before (laughs) I, you know, these changes occurred. Like I have a patient who didn't realize how much stress of her job caused, caused her to have elevated blood sugars. Stress alone can cause diabetes. (laughs) Stress alone can cause hyperlipidemia you know, and, and it, it doesn't have to be a bad toxic stress. It could just be stress. So the, the key is to find places to rest. And so 
then that's the other thing. I don't know how to rest. I've been go, 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 going since I was a kid. I don't even know what that feels like. And when they do feel that way, it's like, then they feel guilty if they try to rest, right? They feel guilt, they feel shame, you know, uh, you know, but I'm not allowed to take care of myself. I've been taking care of everyone for so long that that has no meaning to me. <laughs> I just got off the phone before our, uh, before we started recording uh, uh, with a woman about that. Like she doesn't even know the concept of resting was not even in her, in her venue, you know? So, uh, so where do we start? We start where the patient's at, right? We start where, where the person's at and look at all of the variables that are getting in the way of taking care of oneself and getting to this place of rest and then taking periods of in your day to rest to connect, to ground yourself, to, you know, be, show gratitude for yourself, for your life, for your connections, for the world, you know, and, and it's just being, being, um, present and that in itself, just that, and you can do that for two minutes can really snap you and reset you and get your body, um, you know, out of that stress mode. So just even adding two minutes every hour or, you know, so sometimes I tell my patients to set their alarm or do it after a a session, like if they have back-to-back Zoom sessions, (laughs) you know, like take a break, even for two minutes, just to reset. You know, sometimes doctors who are burned out, you know, before you go into the session, you know, put your hand on the knob before you open that door and just for 30 seconds, breathe, you know, like, you know, and then it's, it's just a finding ways to work that in, into your every day where you're pausing and everyone has a different routine. So you kind of have to sort of think out of the box and, and figure out where, where it would work for them. And that's where coaching comes in right? Coaching and figuring that out for you. Yeah, exactly. Like it seems like it, like we talked about it very individualized, but that there are many multifaceted things that can help. And I think it is at the end of the day, finding each of our own. So I never like to give a exactly, this is what I did because I don't want someone to take it as, oh, I'm going to do the same thing and have the same results. But I feel like I tried many strategies and then anchored the ones that really helped me, which just for as a personal example, again, not prescriptive for me, were things like morning sunlight really helped my stress level and which also we know helps circadian rhythm and sleep, but also midday sunlight. Like I realized I am blissfully happy in the sun, which makes sense when I understand my vitamin D receptors and that I convert vitamin D best from sunlight. And so making that a priority, even for 10 minutes a day was a big difference for me. And then gratitude for sure. For me, I actually started keeping a gratitude journal and now I have several that are filled and it's it's slowly over time. I've seen the shift in my mindset. I actually have the words Amor Fati tattooed on my wrist now, which means love of fate or love what is. And that slow process of learning to shift, not just from being grateful for the good things to being grateful for everything. And then to actually like having like a deep blissful love for all of the things. But that was a journey that I went on, not an overnight process, but what I like to just suggest because it, it was so helpful to me personally. I'd also love to delve into if I know we're getting close on time, but into vagus nerve and how that comes into play and what vagal nerve stimulation can do when we speak of the stress component or all the health aspects of this as well. Oh, absolutely. There are a lot of people who uh, have vagal nerve uh, dysfunction and just 
just from, you know, that can cause a lot of anxiety and um, even panic attacks to the point of panic attacks. So it's being stuck in fight flight and being in this constant, uh, sometimes people call it like an internal vibration, even where they just cannot calm down. They can't, they don't feel settled. And, you know, they'll be given a diagnosis of panic disorder or anxiety disorder and medications really don't do much for it. And uh, so if, if, a, if a person goes from doctor to doctor and has tried all the different medications and none of them work, it's probably because this is the, this is the issue and it's probably not the only issue, but one of the issues. So vagal nerve stimulation is uh you know, it's basically the 10th cranial nerve. And it's a nerve that starts at the base of your brain and innervates practically every single organ in your, you know, in your chest area, all the way down to through your abdomen to your tailbone. So that is something that when it's when you're in fight flight, you know, you're in sympathetic drive, uh, you you really want to uh, stimulate the vagus nerve to put you in the parasympathetic mode, and that is the rest and digest mode. So we talked earlier about um, breathing. So breath work is really important for that on a chronic basis. But there are things that you can do to get yourself out of uh, fight flight or, you know, to, to stimulate the vagus nerve. And those are things like gargling, singing, humming. So you, you know, you're stimulating the vagus nerve on the sides of your neck by doing those kinds of activities. Dr. Atis Karazian says that you, you, you should gargle until your eyes tear, then you know that you've hit the, the right parts of a uh, of the nerve. Um, so when you have that tears reaction, but you know, there's, there's a whole host of, uh, ways to do that. There's books on, on it. Uh, Dr. Steve Porges wrote a book about, yes, I think that's him and Dr. Habib, uh, have written books of, about different techniques, but those are the kinds of things that I would start with is gargling and singing, humming. I like to get people to sing, especially if they like to. So I'll have them start with it. And if, and if it's been a while since they've sung, it's also a great activity hearing music. You know, it's a, a relaxing kind of thing. So if someone is in alignment with singing and they haven't done it for a while, I like to have people start there, but gargling and humming, you know, are, are, uh, gargling is pretty hard to do. <laughs> and it's not something that you can incorporate into your daily life throughout the day, but breath work is really, really important for sure. Uh, and there's different types of breath work. Box breathing is a very common place to start. There's also the Wim Hof method, uh, and um, so there's there's so many different types of uh, breathing that I don't want to I don't want to get sort of box people into one type. I think it's important to try all the different kinds and see what feels right to you. You know, I, there's no one way of doing things. So I try not to give one type of thing, but box breathing is the easiest place to start. Yeah, great tip. And just purely anecdotally, I love the singing tip because one thing that I noticed was after my 
trauma in high school, I had actually just become very quiet. And I even like people would say I was very soft-spoken. And even at that point, I had never, not that I think it would have been good to do, but I have never yelled at my kids, but I just realized for over 10 years, I had never raised my voice or sung loudly or anything. And just anecdotally, it lined up that I started taking voice lessons to get myself out of my comfort zone. And around the same time I was doing all this inner work, but I had another guest say even the act of singing loudly also stimulates thyroid function because that's also right there in the throat. And I think between the vagus nerve side and the thyroid side, it lined up with my thyroid also getting a lot better. Not that that was necessarily causal, but I think it's a really cool tip and one that we can all incorporate that also brings in an element of play and music and all of those other things as well. So I love that you brought that up as a tip. And I know there's so much more to all of this that we can cover ever in a one hour podcast episode, but that you have so many resources available for this. So where can people find you to keep learning from you and where can they find your book? Oh, sure. Um, people can find me on my website at www.fxnmind.com. My practice is called Functional Mind in Providence, Rhode Island. We just moved to a new place, uh, 105 Wickenden Street in Providence, and uh, it's right in the heart of the city. And People can find me on Facebook at um, my podcast. It's What If It's Not Depression with Dr. Achina Stein. And I'm on Instagram at Achina Stein. Dr. Achina Stein, actually. <laughs> Dr. Achina Stein. So I think that I gave you all that information on the show notes. <laughs> And I've also written a book called What If It's Not Depression? It was published in 2020 about the very topic uh, that we discussed today, uh, topics that we discussed today, and people can get in detail. I will put links to all of those in the show notes for anyone listening on the go. That will all be at wellnessmama.fm. You can find that as well as all the notes I've been taking throughout this episode. And a last question I love to ask because um, it's personally fun for me to get new recommendations. And that is if there is a book or a number of books that really have profoundly impacted you personally, and if so, what they are and why? Well, um, my favorite book is that's really impacted me is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. It is, it really shows the research of how the body responds to emotions. And, uh, you know, I think it really proves that when, you know, it's not all in your head, <laughs> you know, and that the body is connected to the mind. And, uh, and it's just really uh, wonderful uh, about how the body that's been traumatized can express itself and manifest in disease in suffering, you know, and so I, I think it's just, it was profound in terms of reading that and the information it provided. I wholeheartedly second that recommendation. I will link to that in the show notes as well. And thank you so much for the time today. I'm very grateful for all the work that you're doing and for you taking the time away from your patients to share with us today. So thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always been my pleasure. And you're, you've been wonderful with all your questions and uh, you're so brilliant in, in how you connected all the dots right here on the show. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And thanks as always to all of you for listening and sharing your most valuable resources, your time, your energy, and your attention with us today. We're both so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? 
Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.